Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 358 for Tuesday, October 11th, 2011. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in some questions. You share your tips. We do our best to give you some answers. We share some tips of our own. And together, we all try to learn a little something new about the Mac and perhaps other technology. Yep. Here from Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. So, John, uh, <laughs> did you order a new uh, iPhone 4S? No. Okay. I was just curious. Well, I'll, well, I'll tell you why. Yeah, go. Well, I, I certainly could, but I would probably have to pay about 600 bucks. Oh, right. Because your contract is still. Uh, right. My contract force. is up for uh, renewal or I can get a new device at the subsidized price, I believe, October 2012. OK, so um, and, you know, honestly, I mean, the 4S, uh, I like the four. It does what I need. Sure. Um, I thought the 4S feature, some of them were compelling, especially the uh, the camera. But um, I agree. And and I think the other thing, though, though it's been a. Uh, the potential for having it be a world phone also seems interesting, but the more I read, the more that I see that it's not as as easy as that, that you don't necessarily have full capability on both CDMA and GSM. You're, you're still kind of locked into whoever you're locked in with. Right. Um, Or or that's what I hear is that you can't just depending on who you're with, like, for example, I think they may not necessarily enable the GSM functionality if you get it from uh, uh, CDMA, uh, either Verizon or Sprint, who are both CDMA. Right. So uh, I believe that's correct. So they may not enable the GSM or it may or I guess they call it locking or the phone may be locked where it would be difficult without doing something after the fact. So uh, but those are the two I I think the two big things to that the. That uh, not not that I travel much in GSM areas, uh, but, but you know, if, if I do turn into a globetrotter, that would be uh, that would be a nice uh, a nice plus. So so the answer in in short is no, but I think and and by the time next year they'll probably have another one. That's I'm I'm sure you're right. Oh, well, actually, I'm not sure, right? Because they went a little over a year with this one, so you you never know. But uh, but yeah. if I could have got because the thing is I looked at um. You know, a number of people that will, uh, I think Apple will buy back the phone and some other people will. And I could probably sure. have gotten about 200 bucks. That's right. And uh, that's what it would have cost me because I probably would have gone for the same model that I got, which cost about 200. So it would have been a wash. But uh, but yeah, I'm not eligible. So. Right. Right. Now you got one, I guess. Now did, I, did, did, I ordered. Did, I actually I, I, I handled it for the two of us because I uh, I ordered two of them. Oh, thank you. <laughs> sure. Well, I, but I'm going to return one. So uh, I I wasn't entirely oh. certain whether I wanted to stick with AT and T or move to Verizon. Uh, so I ordered two, and I figured I'd cancel one. But of course, by the time I made my decision uh, that I would stick with AT and T, they were already both in you know some sort of processing limbo and and couldn't be canceled. So I'll just I'll just refuse delivery on one, and and it'll be simple. Well, no, but don't you have uh, with any of the the phone? companies don't you have like a week or so within which you can return it with no penalty i I thought that's right i think yeah 
Yeah, okay, I, or, or you could just re- refuse I, it. I don't need to go through that. <laughs> right. If I've already made the decision to stick with, with AT&T, or if I had made the decision to move to Verizon, there's no reason to, uh, to, to set up both of them. But, but yeah. yes, that's right. Yeah, with, actually, with Apple, you have 30 days to return it uh, no matter what, uh, no matter which hmm. carrier it is, as long as you've ordered it from Apple. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know why I was up at three in the morning. I don't know why the other people are were either. I mean, dude, well, it's, a, it's a phone, but no, but, but there was the same problem. I think the people that did the best, I think Verizon's uh, system did the best as far as handling the, the mobs. Yeah, I, uh, I, I was reading reports that AT&T kept, uh, you know, people kept getting screens that said, you know, your, your transaction failed. Try again. And really? A lot of people were getting really frustrated. At least the people I saw on Twitter who were, you know, trying to trying to get it right. At, I, I think 3 a.m. Eastern, I think, is when they, yeah, they it was opened 12, the floodgates. Right. Midnight Pacific is, is when they opened the floodgates. Right. Yeah. Eventually. The, but no, I, the, the most the most reports I saw of issues were with uh, trying to order an AT&T phone oh, and, and the least issues of Verizon phone. Cause I my experience it. with Verizon was good last time too. I, I think I, you know, like everybody else, you know, I, <laughs> I think I waited a couple hours to, to let it die down, but my experience was, uh, it was still within the first few hours that they put it on, that they made it available. But, um, but no, it was, it was, it, but, you know, you know, this is going to happen. You know, you're right. going to get a dog pile of people right. <laughs> all, all, all at the same time. And can you scale? Well, who knows? I, yeah, I didn't have any trouble. I did them uh, about six thirty Eastern when I woke up to get the kids up for school and all that, and uh, and both both orders went right through. But but yeah, in the end, uh, cost wise, it's about the same, you know, for a service plan on one versus the other. And um, there are some areas where I go occasionally where AT and T has moderate service, and Verizon is definitely the the service winner. But um, but with being able to keep my unlimited bandwidth if I stick with AT&T right, and, right. and, and, and the faster speeds with AT&T. I mean, there's no question that, that 3G is faster on AT&T than Verizon. Um, oh, sure. I figured, you know, they, they, all else being equal, fine. I'll just stick with AT&T. It's simpler. So, yeah. And, um, you know, I'm wondering about, and then we should get to the Mac geek app, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I did see this. So, so of course, you know, I, well, you know, per, uh, request of uh you know the pmo staff i researched uh you know could i get the unlimited data plan and uh, apparently people are grandfathered just like at&t i think does with with current customers right if if i was going to pay 650 for the phone right right <laughs> which i didn't want to do but then what they're offering which doesn't seem so bad is but they also also offered on the same screen i think it was two five and ten gigabyte uh data plans data plans which yeah. to me doesn't I think the two, I, I believe it's gigabyte, right? It is. I think it's a two gigabyte yeah. plan. I That's mean, right. I look at my usage and, you know, I'll use it if I'm out and about, but I don't think I've ever reached that much so uh, here's, per here's, month. So to me, that's it. Maybe, maybe there's some people, I mean, yeah, if you're streaming video or, or something, but I think for most people, the, the, I don't know if the, the data cap is, is a, you know, a huge issue. At least I don't think it would be for me. It wouldn't be based on past usage for, for you. Uh, what I noticed is as soon as I started testing any sort of photo uploading service, be it uh, using you know the the iFi card or testing you know iCloud or anything like that, bam, my bandwidth usage because I sat at about 500k a month. You know, if I traveled, maybe a gig. But as soon as I started testing anything where it was taking photos and uploading them, um, either manually or automatically. 
I suddenly was, you know, easily at a gig and a half, if not, you know, two plus regularly. <clears throat> and I'm not doing anything funny. I'm not, you know, it's, it's, I'm not tethering, you know, or anything like that. So it's just bandwidth used by the phone and it, and it's pictures. So if I were to, you know, once we've got iOS five in the wild and everybody's got, you know, um, uh, iPhoto in the cloud or iCloud or photo stream, I guess is what it's called, right? Where any picture you take on any of your devices is automatically shared with all of them. So you're not only going up from your phone, but back down with anything that you've put in your uh, iPhoto, uh, that will start to use a lot of bandwidth. And, uh, and I think, I think that to me, that was the reason to protect my, my unlimited, uh, my unlimited bandwidth. So, okay. So we'll see. We'll see. Because, you know, for the most part, I mean, most of the places I go, at least when I travel local, I'm almost always near Wi-Fi. So, of course, I'm using the Wi-Fi. Sure. Which uh, doesn't... Which uh, doesn't count against you. Right. 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 And, of course, there's still the issue. I think I saw you asking some people, and, you know, there's there's still that uh, issue of uh, the CDMA phones not being able to do both data and voice on the CDMA network. Simultaneously. But, but if you have Wi-Fi, then you can. Yeah, you know what and was the interesting? the AT&T ads kind of, you know, I, I got to say they, they, they phrase it very cleverly is that they say, uh, you know, they're, they're not lying, but I, I think they're, it's a little deceptive because, the, the, you know, like I'm going to say, the, the CDMA phones can do voice and data at the same time. It's just not both on the CDMA network. But if you have Wi-Fi and voice, then, then you certainly can do both. And, and for the most part, I'm, I'm always near a Wi-Fi, either in my house or they have a optimum Wi-Fi here in uh, Fairfield and a lot of Connecticut, which is, you know, if you have optimum online, you get free Wi-Fi and, it, and it's in a lot of, uh, a lot of areas. So, so I find that, that that works for me. So about half the people I asked about this, and this started with someone alerting me to it. I hadn't even thought about it this way, but about half the people I asked said on, on Verizon said, yes, they had experienced what they would consider a larger number uh, than expected uh, number of calls that went straight to voicemail as opposed to ringing first and then, and then going to voicemail. Really? Yeah. And, wow. and I, the, I've never, I've never had that. If I've been talking and another call came in, I would no. always see at least a notification no. saying, Hey, there's another call. You want to switch over to it or, or, or yeah, or it would roll over. Huh. Now this isn't when people were talking on the phone. This is when the phone was <laughs> seemingly otherwise doing nothing. And Ooh. and the presumed issue, and and again, there's no way to truly confirm this, at least not from the data sample I got. But the but those who had experienced it, the presumed issue was that at the moment that the phone would have received the call, it was doing some sort of data connection in the background. Be it, mm-hmm. um, and this wasn't just iPhones on Verizon. It was I asked some friends with Droid phones, and again, some of them said never huh. experienced it. Some of them said, "Oh yeah, I have." Um, and it's, you know, the phone is doing some sort of background data connection, checking email, updating the weather, you know, um, Android phones actually do quite a bit in the background. Uh, and that was presumably what was causing at least some of these, you know, calls to route straight to voicemail. Uh, so, I you know, again, I don't know how much of an issue uh, that would be, although I do receive a lot of calls and it would certainly be a drag if they started uh you know, just routing to voicemail randomly. Cause that certainly is frustrating. And, and to be fair, I have experienced that with, with AT&T. I think everyone has at some point or another. Oh yeah. Right. Oh yeah. So, so anyway, uh, you know, while we're on this subject, uh, I do want to talk about our first sponsor, which is gazelle, uh, gazelle.com is a perfect place. If you have ordered a new, uh, iPhone and want to get rid of your old one, 
John, you mentioned that Apple would give you 200 bucks for a 32 gig uh, iPhone 4. Uh, I just looked that up on Gazelle and it's easy. I just typed, started typing iPhone 4 in and it, it mm-hmm. let me pick that from a list. Gazelle says that for a good phone, which is neither broken nor flawless, uh, they say that 90% of the phones that they get are, are in the, the condition mm-hmm. they call good. Uh, they'd pay you $201 and they'll give you cash. Whoa. It's not a credit. It's not anything. It's just, you know, here you go. They'll give you. All oh, right. Apple's is a gift card, right? It, yeah. Towards Apple stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so with Gazelle, you can do a check, which they'll mail right to you. PayPal, uh, which they'll put in your account. Or if you're willing to accept an Amazon gift card, they'll give you an extra 5%. Uh, on top of the uh, of whatever they've they've nice. decided it's worth, yeah. So check it out, gazelle.com. Uh, and it's not just iPhones; it's anything uh, electronic. Try, type it in and see what they give you. Uh, and and they'll lock your price in for thirty days. So uh, my guess is that we'll see. A, my, I would assume we'll start to see a decline in used values of iPhone fours as you know new ones come out. So you know as the new ones hit the street. So. Lock your price in today, gazelle.com, and uh, and then you can, you know, send it off once you got your new one. All right. Uh, now, you know, it does lead me to a question. Though, yeah, Dave. go ahead, John. Now, yeah. if I'm going to if I'm going to take any device that I have and, and give it, you know, sell it to someone, whether it be Gazelle, mm-hmm. which sounds like a great deal or something, um, you know, I'm trying to remember this, but I think you'd want to probably clear the data off the device. That's I don't a, know if they're going to do that for you. And, you know, I'm trying to think, I, I think I've dug into that and I'm not sure where that is exactly. Maybe, you know, off the top of your head or, or we can. So the gazelle will clear the data off before they do really? anything with it. Oh, but sweet. But that said, I think it's a very prudent move to do it yourself. Right. And, and the way I would do it would be to just do a restore of the operating system onto the phone. Uh, now you can do it. Oh wait, no, I just I just found it here. So, there so is I have a way my phone to do it on me. the phone too, right? Go ahead. Yeah, walk through the steps, John. Go ahead. Settings, general. Oh, where is it? It was here. <laughs> reset, and then the bottom menu is reset. There we go. And then it has reset all settings, erase all content and settings. I there think that's probably. Oh, and there's some others here. Reset network settings. That may be good for diagnosing network problems. Reset keyboard dictionary. Oh, look at, you know, I've never been on the screen before. I just found it. <laughs> reset home screen layout and reset location warnings. Nice. Okay. So it sounds like erase all content and settings is what you would want to do before you send your phone. Uh, you, you sell your phone to anybody. To anyone. Yeah. I, I think that's a, that's a safe bet. Yeah. But, but Gazelle will wipe it before they do anything <clears throat> with it, but still it doesn't matter to be safe. You know, you're, you're not just handing it directly to Gazelle. You're, you're sending it through the, uh, Whatever the you know FedEx or somebody, so yeah, definitely. Okay, all right, back to the Mac. That's <laughs> right, it's back, back to the Mac. That's good. Uh, okay, so Ben has a. This is actually a great question because it's a nice little transition. He says, uh, "My old my old iMac stopped working, so I have another on order, and I will have a copy of the hard drive from the old machine. I'm doing a manual migration and want to know what files are necessary to copy over to keep my iPod touch and shuffle from having to start from scratch. I want those devices to think nothing ever changed. The new Mac, the new iMac has lion. The old iMac G five has tiger. Um, what do I do? Okay. Uh, and he says he had, uh, he had iTunes potentially 10.1 on that machine, but, uh, but that should be okay. So, uh, we, we actually had several people asking this exact same question 
Uh, and we heard back from several of you that uh, that this little bit of advice works. And the advice is uh, just copy your uh, home music iTunes folder to the same place on the new drive and do that before you launch iTunes and before you connect your device to the machine. Uh, do that. iTunes will update the library if necessary, if it's from an older version. And uh, and then it, you'll be fine. You'll be able to sync with your stuff and it'll see the same library and uh, your devices won't force you to go through any sort of reset or anything. So it's just the if you go into your home folder, go into the music folder, there is an iTunes folder there. Copy that over and replace entirely the contents of that uh, folder on your new machine. Make sure before you replace anything in its entirety that you haven't put anything out there. Now, presumably, if mm. you haven't launched it yet, you haven't put anything there. So there's nothing uh, of value to delete. There will be stuff out there because that's how the iTunes folder is kind of set up out of the gate. But it's not going to have um, it's not going to have your music or anything there. So just copy it in and and that should do it. It's a pretty straight shot. Really? Yeah, wow, that sounds almost too easy. That's why we love this stuff, John. Because, <laughs> um, well, well, you know, the thing is, though, I look at this and when you look at the files in that folder, not only do you see things that contain your, your music and your artwork and stuff, but you also see, like, I think the, the key one here is uh, iTunesMusicLibrary.xml. I think that's pretty similar to what otherwise would be uh, something in your preferences folder, uh, right. a plist file. So, so it's nice that everything is self-contained and it'd be nice if more apps do that. And I guess they're, they're moving in that direction well, where it's right. not all scattered about, but it's, it's all in one folder, which you know, is the right way to do it. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. Moving on to Mike. Mike has uh, a two part question. Uh, we'll start with the first one. Mike says, I use an external hard drive for my time machine backups, which I plugged into U the USB port of a new MacBook Air running a Lion. Once the time machine finishes, the Air goes to sleep. Unfortunately, whenever I wake that same Air back up, I get a warning window saying that the external hard drive was not properly ejected before shutting down. I'm afraid that the external hard drive directory is going to be damaged one of these times and no longer mount as a result. Is this a bug in Lion that the computer doesn't properly eject the external hard drive before it goes to sleep? Is there a way to avoid this situation? And then part two of the question is, uh, I decided to adjust my energy settings and system preferences on my MacBook Air and tell the computer to never go to sleep. In there, I see there's an option, put the hard disk to sleep when possible. This leads me to ask, what does it mean when a solid state drive goes to sleep? Does an SSD even need to be put to sleep like a regular hard drive would? Okay, so uh, let's answer let's answer question number two first because that's a pretty straightforward answer, and then we'll get into some of the the nuances that might be causing what you've talked about in number one. So about putting an SSD to sleep, John, I think you have uh, I think you have some insight on this. Uh, I got a theory. Okay, how's that? All right, go sure. <laughs> well, no. So so what's happening? Um, so putting a drive to sleep, what does that mean? And I think what it really means is that the OS after, at, at some point tells the drive, all right, you know what? <clears throat> I haven't talked to you for a while. Why don't you go into a, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, why don't you go into a low power mode until I, until I need to talk to you again. Now on a rotational hard drive, what this typically involves is uh, telling the drive, Hey, spin down your uh, motor because that 
is the thing that draws the most juice. The drive is still there. It still knows that the world is there, but the motor I think is, is typically in a rotational drive, the thing that consumes the most juice. So that's what happens is that a sleep signal gets sent to the drive and it's like, okay, well, and it may do some other things. It may power down some other electronics that are normally needed for, for running the drive. My understanding is that SSDs will do something similar. Uh, of course, the SSD doesn't have a motor. So, so I think it, it, isn't as much of a benefit in that you're putting it because it's all it's all chips you're putting it in a low power state i mean you can certainly tell parts of the drive in an ssd okay you know i don't really need you or or just go into this low power state because i I don't really need to talk to you for a while so um so i'd say there's no downside to it and and of course the you know the thing is as we heard from others and actually we had this question come up before the problem with the rotational drive is when you wake it up you got to wait for the motor to spin up or at least the finder forces that were, of course, on an SSD. I mean, you're talking almost instant startup. So I don't see any downside to uh, to to selecting that. Um, if anything, it'll, you know, it'll save your I mean, the SSDs already, uh, depending on the one you get, already save a lot of juice. So uh, th- this will well, save you more juice. Well, well, because I've seen some like the, the one I'm looking at now um did advertise a you know idle mode that has a certain power consumption oh, now, I, I think i know what you're going to say but yeah depending on the ssd now i've seen some ssds where the power consumption uh in watts is is on par with a mechanical drive but i've seen some others where where it is is quite a bit lower so it depends on the ssd but again yes. I, I don't i don't think there's any downside to uh selecting this and, and i think the drives try to mirror as closely as possible the you know responding to that to that call i'm going to assume that it's a SATA command that basically tells the drive, all right, sleep. Yeah. And it does whatever it feels appropriate. I think that's right. Yeah. All right. So now as for these backups, uh, in a, in a nutshell, and to paraphrase my, (laughs) my dear friend, John Brun here, that shouldn't happen. Uh, Well, that was my wisdom in the pre-show. I'm like, I know that's wrong. But then I I started to, well, I'll let you lead, but uh, I'm starting to try to think why it would be doing this, but but give me your guess. Yeah. So my, my feeling is that uh, when the system goes to sleep, something is causing USB power goes away. Right. And if this is a USB powered drive, then it has no way of maintaining its state if the system is actually killing power to the USB bus, which my guess is it is uh, when it goes to sleep. So now this drive is coming right back up and perhaps it kills power to the USB bus as it's shutting down. So the system actually sees the drive go offline before the, the before Mac OS 10 goes to sleep. Um, and and if, if that's the case, then when you turn it back on, the system reapplies power to the USB bus. This drive wakes up, says, hey, I'm here. And then you get this message saying, OK, look, the drive went offline unexpectedly. But it would it would have been expected, of course, because power was removed from the bus. So I, I think that's what's going on now. It, it may be I, I need to test this, frankly, with uh, with USB drives on on the MacBook Air. But uh, it may be a function of the way the air deals with the drives. And, and and if so, then it's what I've described. Otherwise, it could be a function of this drive pulling itself offline when it sees a low power condition as opposed to just maintaining um, its state, if that were even possible. So that's the, I, I think it's I think it's kind of a function of ha- of dealing with a bus powered drive on a uh, on a on a portable, you know, that, that's going to go to sleep into a very low power mode and not provide any power out the USB bus. 
I don't no, I don't buy it. All right. <laughs> because I've I've had um, external drives, uh, either USB or FireWire, and if I put a machine to sleep and I wake it up, I don't get that error message. So I'm I'm going to take a guess here. Uh, especially being a software type of guy here, I'm going to blame the hardware. I'm wondering if it's a power consumption issue with the particular enclosure that is being used or a bug in the enclosure. Now, he didn't mention the specific drive here. Right, right. He just said it's an external USB drive. So I'm wondering if it's a power issue and that the thing is drawing, is on the verge of drawing too much juice uh, that the air could provide. I, I mean, you, you know, know it should what? be providing. We, we have mm-hmm. the technology. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and put the show on pause here. The, the rest of you won't know that I've put it on pause, but I'm going to do that and go get the MacBook Air. And then we're going to do this live demo right here and uh, and answer this at least with a drive that I have available. How's that sound to you, John? Exciting. All right. Okay. I'm back, but uh, we need to plug stuff in here. So we need, uh, well, we're going to need filler music. Right, so here we go. Okay. <laughs> so. We'll wake up the MacBook Air. That's right. I think we'll wake up the MacBook Air. This could take longer than I thought, John. Oh, there it is. Okay. I've got a USB drive here. Of course, I haven't woken up the MacBook Air in several days. All right. Now, I have a uh, I have a USB cable, and I've plugged the USB cable into the MacBook Air, and I'm plugging the USB cable into the hard drive, and the hard drive has a light that comes on it, which is good. It means that it, in theory, should allow it to be bus powered. Okay, so the drive has been mounted. So now, John, the uh, the moment of truth. I'm going to power down the MacBook Air and we'll let it go to sleep. Now there is no battery power. Uh, there is no uh, external power being applied to this. Now here's something interesting. So the MacBook Air is closed, presumably asleep. The hard drive still has its red light on, which means that USB power is being provided despite the fact that the MacBook Air is asleep. So now I'm going to wake it back up. The MacBook Air was definitely asleep. It's now awake again, and the drive is still connected and happy. So, and I duplicated this. So while you were running away getting your machine, I actually ran downstairs and I got one of my USB drives, although I indicated that, you know, I'm sure I've done this. I I just wanted to double check. Sure. And I experienced the same thing you did. So I I got one of these um, very nice uh, OWC external enclosures, a very basic one, USB 2. But I noticed the same thing. I closed the lid. Eventually, the, the, the light started pulsing, but the light on the drive stayed on, indicating, yep. as you pointed out, yes, it is getting power. So sleep, and, and apparently there's no bug that, yeah, cuts, uh, because the only reason this would happen is if somehow you cut power to the drive, right? And you yeah. never saw that. Right. Right. That's right. So again, that's why I'm going to blame the hardware still. I'm wondering if, if the drive... I don't know. I, I I just still feel it's a power issue. If there's some way, so this if if this is a drive that you can uh, yank and put in another enclosure, um, yeah, you may want to try that. Or, I tend to, I tend to agree with my my good friend Mr. Braun here. 
<laughs> it happens. <laughs> but I wouldn't blame the OS because the test I just did is... Uh, so I did the test on my Lion machine. So, so as far as... Um, Mike's uh, speculation that's bugging Lion. I do not believe that 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 is the case. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think so because it because it would have. I thought maybe it was something about the MacBook Air and them trying to make it you know super low power, but uh, but clearly that's not the case because I'm running ten seven one, the latest release of Lion. Although I think in the next twenty four hours we're going to see ten seven two because iCloud and all that is coming. Uh, but uh, but for now I'm running ten seven one on that machine because that's what's been released. And and it behaved exactly as you heard. So, or, you know, and the other thing, too, is that I see some hard drives and, and I cringe when I see this. I've, I've seen this very rarely, but some hard drives want you to install extra garbage when you get them. And I'm True. wondering if it, it, it so so it could be either drive firmware or power issue or it could be some lame software that, that they installed on your machine that that is doing something stupid. So could be. All right. Let's move on to uh, Ralph. Ralph writes a question about antivirus protection on the Mac. Conventional wisdom suggests that there is no need to run antivirus software on Mac OS X yet. What about when running Windows on a Mac? In my case, I run Windows XP using Parallels 7 in order to run one my one and only remnant of 20-something years using Windows, Microsoft Money. This is the only application I use while on Windows. I run it once a month, a quick in and out. No other apps programs run while in Windows. Parallels does support loading Kaspersky uh, or Kaspersky. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, is this necessary? All right. So my feeling on this is I agree with you that while we did see a, a slight uh, scare last year in that there was it wasn't a virus. It was more of a malware thing uh, that came out for the Mac. I'm st I still am of the opinion that uh, that you do not need virus protection software on the Mac yet. Uh, it will be interesting to see if that is simply a matter of time, though. Uh, but for now, that's right. As far as the Windows side. You're always running a risk because Windows is very susceptible to viruses. However, if you're not going online with your Windows uh installation and if you're not downloading things and you're not visiting websites then the chances of you contracting a windows virus are extremely thin so i would say you can likely live without it uh, but if you're using it to go online in any capacity go ahead and install the parallels uh, i mean it comes with kaspersky so just let it install it and be safe you're, you're running your your personal finances presumably by using ms money my feeling is, you know, on the Windows side, if you let me put it this way, if you were going to set up a Windows machine and use it, there's no way you could live without virus protection. So I would I would treat your parallels installation the same way. And the same goes for VMware and bootcamp. If you're going to get online with them at all uh, or have them connected to the Internet in any capacity, go ahead and do it. In your case, you probably don't need it, but I don't know that you want to run that that risk with the probably that's my feeling. Mr. Braun. Yes. Where are you going? You sounded far away. I, I was leaving uh, me. I, I'm, I'm still here. Don't leave me. <laughs> uh, I concur because, you know, having worked uh, with windows on almost a daily basis, uh, especially the older versions, even though they still keep patching it. Yes. If, 
uh, and you know, you, you said the same thing I was thinking. If the machine is connected in any way, shape, or form to any sort of network, then yes, get virus protection. If it's not, if you're not going to surf with it, like you said, uh, so I back you up on this. If you're not going to surf and you're not going to be on a network and networking with anyone outside of your local home network, then I would say you probably don't need to. But I would anyways, like, for example, what I do is so, so I'm running a, you know, I got to look at the, the latest version of Parallels, Parallels, which I understand is the cat's meow. Yeah. You know, it's really nice. But, but right now really I'm running nice. VM. But right now I'm running VMware. Yeah. And I actually met with them. And, and you know, they, 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 I, I keep seeing these guys leapfrog each other. You know, Parallels comes up with some innovations then VMware does. And then, they, you know, they kind of go back and forth. I see it. those are the two L- big dogs. Lately, I think. though, that hasn't been happening. It Parallels has, has that Parallels is. Yeah. Been taking a couple of leaps. In, in, my, in, in my opinion, yeah, Parallels is is certainly the smoother one to use. It's the smoother one to install all the virtual machines into. I mean, they've really they've really focused nicely on it. Um, yeah. it doesn't, that doesn't mean VMware won't come back. They're certainly worth paying attention to. They've been oh, no, around. It for, works. Hey, hey it does what I need. Time. It runs. It runs. It, and I'm still doing Windows XP. Okay. Yeah. Even, least, you know, I, I have a development environment set up, so you know, I run Visual Studio. I have XP. They still have, you know, security updates and all that. But VMware does does what I need. But what I do. So, so if you didn't have, so I, I wasn't aware that Parallels actually gives you antivirus. But the one that I use is an open source thing called Clam AV antivirus. Okay. Yeah. And it's an open source uh, antivirus program, and that's what I have installed on my VMware. But yeah, install something uh, yeah. again if you're on a network. There, there are viruses, uh, you know, which I think technically the you know definition is a virus is something that can propagate over a network. Yeah, but um, you also want to you want to protect against spyware and all that stuff too. And and most of these programs oh, right, right, protect right. against that. It, try out. Uh, it, I, I I haven't tried Clam AV, but but AVG makes a good free one. No, uh, right. if you don't if you don't have one that came with your uh, your virtualization your virtualization environment, which again parallels definitely does include that so okay all right so uh our second sponsor for this show is barebones software at barebones.com with bb edit 10 uh, actually it's up to 10.1 but uh, the number that's most important to you is the price and and the date actually so between now and october 20th which isn't that far away uh you can get bb edit 10 for thirty nine ninety nine US, that that's not an upgrade price. That's not uh, that's not anything special other than a time limited offer for everyone. So thirty nine ninety nine. After that, you it only goes up ten bucks to forty nine ninety nine, which is still way less than half of what it used to cost. Uh, this is the deal of uh, the century, and I think it's a smart move for for bare bones, but. Uh, but we're not here to editorialize. We're here to run their spot. Uh, $39.99 for BB Edit 10. BB Edit is the product that launched the company. Uh, they have the whole text editing environment down to a science here. So sure, if you just want to edit text, it's great. And it'll sort text. It'll count lines. It'll count words. It'll count all the characters, all that good stuff. But where it really begins to shine is when you start managing projects. Now, those projects can be uh, can really be anything, but it's really cool because you can start doing you can take a group of text files and do a multi file find and replace on all of them at once and have it show you the the changes before you commit them or not. Uh, You can 
manage files on an FTP server, just as, just as though they are local. So you can open a file from a remote server, edit it. And when you hit save, it's saving it back out to that remote server without any great fanfare to you. It just does its thing. Uh, additionally, if you're editing any kind of code, meaning HTML or Java or JavaScript or C++ or really anything, I haven't found one that it won't do. It starts coloring, not in the code itself, but on the screen in BB edit, it starts coloring and highlighting that code, uh, allowing you to format things, allowing you to see things a whole lot easier. Functions are separated out. It creates this whole beautifully rich, interactive programming environment, and it's really fantastic. And if you haven't checked it out, it's worth your shot. There is a free trial that you can download from barebones.com. Just make sure you buy it before October 20th. Otherwise, there's a $10 tax. So uh, 39, well, it's, it's $39.99 now, $49.99 after October 20th. So check it all out at barebones.com. No. I dig them. I use them to lovingly handcraft the show notes, Dave, that that is uh, my program, of choice to do that. And also I noticed that in one of the menus here, yeah, they support CVS, which we were talking about versioning a little while ago. That's, that's right. one of the more popular. So that's, yeah, I mean, it, it, yep. it does it all. It does. All right, let's go. Let's go to Brad here, John. Uh, Brad says, I have oh, really? a, tw- oh, I have a 2011 okay. MacBook pro that keeps asking me to allow incoming connections. Every time I start up iTunes, if I click on allow, it will still ask me the next time I start up iTunes again. I have it set to allow in the firewall, but the message keeps returning. I do have an Apple TV 2 on the same network, so I'm not sure if this is causing any problems. I get the message. Rather, the uh, Apple TV 2 is on or off. Uh, I did an upgrade to Lion, so I'm not sure if this has anything to do with it since it wasn't a clean install. I cannot remember if it started as soon as I did the Lion upgrade or not. So, John, we've talked about this before and we've experienced this before. I I seem to remember that this has to do with code signing. And if the system. Yes. Okay. If the system believes an app is not code signed, it will not maintain its uh, the the setting. The firewall settings will not will not persist from launch to launch. Uh, But I think there's an easy solution. And, and, and I'll let you take it from here because I think, well, well, I I think there is, but I want to, and you know, let's try to describe without getting into a tutorial about encryption and all that code signing. What is code signing? Sure. And we've been through this before, but, but it's worth a, it's worth a, I want to revisit it. So so code. So number one, we're going to talk code. What is code? Well, code is your software on your computer. Now, what is signing? And that's where we're going to try. You know, I think we usually do a good job of this because there is so much mathematics and all that involved in this. But I think basically code signing. So the first step in this whole process is that you got to get something called a digital certificate. Uh, Now, it's really just a bunch of numbers. But what it does, what's important is the process behind it. Um, And this is the key to the whole infrastructure where if you go to a website and you type in HTTPS for a secure connection, there's a digital certificate behind it. And this is the same technology that is used with code signing. Now, what is a digital certificate? And and trying to describe it and help me out here, David, I'm I'm going to try to formulate it. Your Mac has a list of, of entities that it trusts. People that issue these digital certificates, which is really just a process where you apply for one of these 
and they check you out. They check your identification. They, they make sure you're legitimate. And if you pass their test, you are issued a digital certificate. And, and suffice to say that the digital certificate you're given, whether it's from Apple or VeriSign or any of the other big players, if you have one of these and you've passed their test, there is a counterpart within the operating system that matches the certificate. And normally what will happen is that if there's no problem, the computer will say nothing. But if there's a problem between the certificate and what's in the operating system, as far as its listed certificates, it's going to say, whoa, 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 either, you know, the dates don't match or the name is wrong or, or this thing called a digital signature just doesn't match. And, and what happens is that if you're given a digital certificate, uh, hopefully from somebody that has a thorough process of making sure you are who you say you are, then you will, then you won't see any problem. But if this test fails or this little bit of data called a digital signature is either missing or corrupted, then what's going to happen is what you're going to see happening with the firewall. Now, hopefully that was somewhat in English there, Dave. Uh, yeah. So it, <laughs> if I, if I can crystallize this, what would please? Yeah. Crystal, it, oh, I like that. I like crystals too. Good. So <laughs> app developers get a special piece of uh, code that they can bake into their application that lets the operating system know that this app was created by the person who says they created it. Good. Okay. okay. So what's happening here is, as you said, John, and far more verbosely, uh, what's happening here is the OS is saying, <laughs> I don't trust that you were created by the entity that you say you were created by. And therefore a lot of these extra things that we're going to do with apps that we trust don't apply to you. But what's weird here is this is iTunes and it's an Apple operating system. So something has just gone wrong. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, the solution is to simply reinstall iTunes. And I believe in the past when we've seen this, that has solved this issue. Right. And I think the root of this issue. So, number one, what's setting on the computer is is bringing up this warning. You may be asking yourself, Dave. Oh, is there a setting that you can that well, you can course. affect? Oh, I, well, I of course think... there is. OK, so you, you go into system preferences, security, firewall, and then you click on advanced. And there is a checkbox saying automatically allow signed software to receive incoming connections. Uh... Now, what you're also going to see in that list is a bunch of applications excuse me, that have, um, should have gotten more tea. All right. Um, or water. <laughs> Sorry. But you're going to also see a list of applications that I assume are signed applications and in the firewall app. And, and you're probably following along with me here, Dave. Um, I'm, I'm you're going to see, because I don't have the firewall on, but, but go oh. ahead. And I certainly don't want to turn it on while we're recording this show over Skype. And, oh, no, and no, no, it's fine. But if you go to the system preference, so again, you go to the system preference, firewall, security, firewall, advanced, you're going to see a list of applications, right? What you should see. Now, here's the other reason that this may happen is that in the, um, so you're going to see a list of applications and to the right, you're going to see a setting. Now, normally it should say allow incoming connections, which is what it says for Brad on iTunes, but it won't right. still won't let him because it, it's lost this signing. But, right. but again, reinstalling will will fix that. Yeah. Right. And, and the problem is, and I, I believe what happened is at one point when Apple released an incremental update that you do through software update, um, they screwed up applying the signature. And so all of a sudden everybody got this and yeah, I'm with you, Dave, yeah. that, um, 
but yeah, I, I had this problem too. And I had to erase, you know, maybe you want to erase with a uh, app deleter just to make sure you get rid of all the pieces. But, but actually, actually, I, I, I don't, don't think even I think did that. I just downloaded iTunes, uh, the iTunes installer from Apple reinstalled it. And then everything was groovy. Now, a little minor tangent here is that I ran into this. Also, I was in the same control pit or never going to stop saying it. System preference pane. And the thing was, so you and I, Dave, both are, uh, you know, uh, happy new Drobo owners. And I noticed something really weird with the Drobo app. Is it, uh, So Drobo has something called their Drobo dashboard. And so I ran it and it came up and it said, eh, I can't find, you know, any Drobos. And I'm like, well, that's funny because it's plugged in. Then I looked and they actually had a tip on their site, but I figured it out myself before I went to their site. But they actually have a process called D. D service 64D, I think, in my list here. And for whatever silly reason, it was set to deny incoming connections. So I'm like, why isn't it seeing the drive? I just installed it. I just plugged it in. And actually, and there were a couple of other apps, which was kind of weird. So you may want to look at if you have any network based applications and you have the firewall on and they're not working right, you may want to just go to this advanced tab and just look at the list of apps and just make sure they're all, they all have a little green dot and say, allow incoming connections. I was actually surprised that I had a couple of things that were marked as red saying, deny incoming connections. And I have no idea why, but apparently for whatever reason, DD sir, the, the, the Drobo background daemon uh, is, uh, comes in listed as deny. I, I don't know why. So thought I'd share that because it kind of it freaked did, me out. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was going to say it didn't for me, but I, I don't have the firewall on. It could also be that you click. You don't have the firewall on. No. What are no. you crazy? Um, no, I don't <laughs> well, possibly, but I don't think that's evidence of it. Uh, <laughs> Why don't you have the, I'm curious. You don't have the firewall on. No, none of my Macs here at the house. No, really? Why would I? Well, well, what? well, why I, wouldn't you? I sit behind, Come on. I sit behind a router that I trust and okay all right so you so, so you're saying so you're 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 counting on your router to block any evildoers yeah okay yeah okay. and by nature right, of I, what i it, guess i'm i'm with you on that by nature you, of got, what you it, got a big boy router you don't have like a airport or something yeah, but even if i had an airport i mean by nature of what it does Damn. it doesn't just pass packets through willy-nilly it can't it doesn't know what to do with unsolicited packets so it just ignores them and this is true of every router out there that you're using mm-hmm. with your single IP address, cable modem or DSL, it, you know, the, because of the because it's taking one IP address and sharing it, it can't do anything with packets that are coming in unsolicited. It just ignores them unless you've got port forwarding set up for it to do those. Right. Things. OK, so that was my thought. But I'm yeah. still wondering if somebody crafts an attack that does a broadcast. uh uh, okay i'll uh it had it has yet to bite me uh okay now okay. when i no, travel when i travel like on my macbook air i'll, I'll flip the firewall on. uh you know and i do that when i turn all my sharing stuff off oh so, especially yeah. if we're on like a, a trade show or a hotel yeah. network yeah yeah exactly <laughs> but, but otherwise now i just uh i just leave it yeah yeah okay. I, I don't they get in the way I don't, I don't know. Well, yeah, well, you know, I gotta, I, I gotta say, I tend to agree with you because when I, especially when I've done work with windows networking in an enterprise situation, a lot of times there, for whatever stupid reason, the windows firewall will get in the way, even though you explicitly try to share a drive. Yeah. It, it, you couldn't connect to it. And the solution was either to type in the IP address manually and the port and all that, or yeah, 
The advice was, yeah, we'll disable the firewall. Then you can connect to this machine. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Okay. No, I'm uh, no, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, I, I keep it on. Just maybe I should turn it on. But, but I haven't had it cause any problems. So I guess that's why I leave it on. Except for this one problem you talked about or that we're talking about now. Yeah. Is that all of a sudden this one app came up as deny incoming connections. Actually, I think I saw it in the fire in the console initially. Yeah. It's like D- D- DD service, whatever connection denied. And I'm like, well, why is it denied? And then I, I finally d- drilled into the firewall setting. Yeah. But did it, is it denied automatically or did you uh, just hit deny the first time the firewall asked you about it? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, after I installed, so, so when you get the Drobo, you get the software or you download it from mm-hmm. their site. And as soon as I installed their, what they call their uh, Drobo dashboard, yeah. I ran it and it's like, oh, well, yeah, I can't see any Drobos. And I'm like, um, okay, well, that's kind of uh, weird. Yeah, that is. And no, weird. and I looked in the console and, it, and, and I think I saw a message explicitly saying, uh, you know, attempt to connect to port, whatever, uh, via DD service, you know, the thing I mentioned and it was like connection denied. And I'm like, well, why is it being denied? <laughs> so again, if you have the firewall on, go to the advanced button, check all your settings and make sure that everything is set the way you want it. The, to me, they should all, all the apps listed should be green, allowing coming connections, unless you have a specific reason to block it. Right. Right. All right, All right. Uh, let's let's wrap up questions with this one from Everett, and then we've got some tips to go on to. Hi, I have a quick question about iTunes, and I'm having an issue with it. Uh, when I go to drag some either one media file onto iTunes, or even multiples or a folder of it, it tells me attempting to copy to the disk Macintosh HD failed. You do not have enough access privileges for this operation and it won't let me put it onto the desktop either so and this is off of a thumb drive so all right thanks sure you bet uh so yeah so this doesn't sound like an itunes issue uh simply because you said you can't copy from the thumb drive to the desktop either uh my feeling is that it's uh, in the best case, it's a permissions issue with the thumb drive itself. And in the worst case, it's a corruption issue uh, with data on the thumb drive itself. And so I, there, there's a couple things I'd try. Uh, the first thing I'd try, John would be to, I'd, I'd uh, click on the thumb drive in the finder, do a get info and see if it is set to ignore permissions on that volume. And if it's not, I would check that right. box, right? Because then, you know, we're, now these permission things are gone. Uh, if that doesn't do it, the next thing I do is I'd run disk utility and, and choose verify disk on that thumb drive and hope that there's just something wrong with the file structure that's, uh, that's got that going. But, but yeah, because you shouldn't be getting those kinds of errors when copying from the thumb drive unless you've got a read, you know, read permission set on the, in a very weird way on that thing. So that, that, those are, I can't think of anything else. I don't, do you have anything on that one, John? Nope. You, uh, you covered it. Yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah. You, I mean, you should never see that message. Well, yeah. <laughs> of course that's why he's writing. Us. That's why we're here. That's right. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, I would think it's a, yeah, the permissions issue, I, I think is the most likely, uh, likely cause here or corruption. No, I'm with you. You, you got it. I think. 
Okay, so we have a couple of follow-ups. Well, not from the very last show because 357 didn't have any uh, questions or tech stuff, of course. It was our uh, memories of Steve Jobs, if you will. Uh, and and if you haven't heard it, uh, you can go back and listen. Uh, but from our last regular show, number 356, uh, we had a couple of follow-ups, and we will go through a couple of them now. Uh, Tony shared something very interesting. We were talking about secure delete and all of that good stuff. And Tony writes, John and Dave, there is a keyboard shortcut for secure empty trash. It is shift command delete, but be careful when using it. Uh, And of course he's right because it, it does exactly what it says it will do, but you aren't actually reading the text secure delete. You're just telling it to do it with the, uh, by holding shift and command. Yeah. Now that's a fish shake because why doesn't it appear in the finder menu? Unless it's so dangerous that they decided to hide it. Maybe that's the reason. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Right? I mean, it, to me, it's just good UI practice that if you have a keyboard shortcut for something, it should appear in the menu. Now, I mean, it that, does. I mean, is, it does for pretty much anything, right? Is that correct? I, I would. Yeah. It is again correct. attention to yeah. detail uh, to yeah. me. Hey, yeah. Again, it could it could be an exception that it's so. No, this isn't. No, wait a minute. Tony's wrong. Uh, at, at least for what? me, for me uh. in Snow Leopard. So I hold down Shift Command Delete, and oh, okay, I did the wrong one. Uh, but that's okay. Uh, so if I hold down Shift Command Delete in the Finder, uh, I get. Are you sure you want to permanently erase the items in the trash? However, if I go to the finder menu and choose secure empty trash, I get a different dialogue telling me about secure empty trash. So shift command delete will empty the trash, but I do not believe that is doing a secure empty trash. Hmm. Unless, uh, unless you've got something else there, John, I think that's right. So, Live demos testing these things, folks, for you. That's what we do. So that yeah, shift em- shift command delete will empty the trash. But do we? It's not a secure empty trash. Uh, Are you on Lion testing this? Because I'm testing it on Snow Leopard, which is oh the- no, I'm looking under Snow Leopard. I'm looking at the uh, so I found a wonderful article HT thirteen forty three Mac OS ten keyboard shortcuts. Which is dated October fifth, twenty eleven, and I do not see one for uh, secure. All right, moving on to Randy with a follow up from show three fifty six. A little something that we addressed during the show about ejecting discs, uh, but then uh, a little something more on top of that. Hi, Dave and John. This is Randy in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm just listening to the episode where you're talking about mounting drives and also with Super Duper. And one item I'm not sure if you were aware or not, but if you set up a scheduled backup recurring with Super Duper, you don't have to tell it to unmount the drive afterwards. Super Duper is smart enough that if the drive is unmounted but connected to the computer, it will automatically mount it for the backup job or the cloning job. And then when it's finished, it will put it back in the state that it was in before, which in this example would be unmounted. So it's actually kind of automatic 
all you have to do is mount the drive in order to set up your clone, schedule it, unmount it, and then SuperDuper will keep it that way going forward, which is pretty handy. On a separate item, while you can mount and unmount discs easily with, uh, or I guess mount really, uh, with disc utility, if people are users of iStat menu, that actually makes it incredibly fast because you probably have a little icon in your menu bar for the drive capacity. And if you simply click that... Uh-oh. What happened there, Randy? Click that. There we are. Among all the information that it shows you is the, your unmounted drives. And if you just click on that unmounted drive, it will actually mount it for you. Thanks for a great show. Appreciate it. Bye. Thanks very kindly, Randy. That's uh, that's good advice. I'd forgotten about iStat menus mounting discs. That's uh, that's handy advice. All right. And one last tip from uh, from David. Uh he writes, quick Lion tip in case it helps. I just did a clean install of Lion after making a bootable USB Lion disc, but I did migrate a few things with Migration Assistant. I think all I did with my desktop, docs, music, etc. I definitely did not import settings, library, applications. Anyway, what was really weird to me is that a couple of apps I had downloaded from the Mac App Store before the upgrade were showing up as though they were already installed on my new install of Lion. No matter what I did, I could not find them. Even more odd, one of them had an update available, so I tried to update, and it would give me an error saying I needed to log into a different Apple ID to download, and I know I've only ever used one. Well, after a few hours of frustration, I finally found the issue, and I wanted to share it with you and your listeners. I don't know why, but because I'm a geek and because you listen to this show and you've learned how to troubleshoot, uh, I just spent 30 minutes going through each and every menu and system preferences in detail just to see what was new. Well, when I went to users and groups, login items, lo and behold, those missing programs were set to launch on startup. I simply removed them from this list, relaunched the app store, and now was able to successfully download and install them with no problem at all. I hope this might help any other Lion upgraders that listen. So what happened was with Migration Assistant, he pulled over his, some of his settings. And one of those settings was his login items, which got pulled in with his account. And it was pointing to things that didn't exist. But for whatever reason, the App Store saw this, these pointers and it got, got into this funky state that, uh, that David described. So kudos to you, David, for finding that. That's, that's awesome. And uh, thanks for sharing it because I'm sure... I'm sure one of us is going to run into this uh, if we haven't already. So good, good stuff. Anything to add before we go through? Uh, I think we've got one cool stuff found that I stumbled on this week. Uh, speaking of the Mac app store, but, uh, but no. do you have anything else, John, before we do you that? go? Okay. So uh, I did find this thing called cursor finder uh, at cursorfinder.com. You can buy it from the Mac app store for, uh, for 99 cents. And what it does is it allows you to either center your cursor or have the system put a spotlight on it. So if you've got multiple monitors, you've got keystrokes, uh, shortcut keys that will either snap your cursor back to the center of the screen or put a big highlight on it. So uh, cool stuff. Uh, that's why we do what we do. So cool stuff found uh, 99 cents at the Mac App Store cursor finder. And John, I think... That uh, that gets us to where we uh, we need to bring the, uh, the the real band in again. Well, not the real band, but the the normal band, which used to be a real band. <laughs> ha!
All right. Uh, where do we start? Well, we start with the end. It's, it's, it's like having dessert as an appetizer. Wait, no, that's not it at all. Well, sometimes you may want to cleanse your palate with uh, something sweet, right? Like a right? sorbet I, I think I've heard of that. Maybe. Yeah, sure. If you want to cleanse your palate or just get in touch with us, Dave, you know what I'd, I'd do? <laughs> I would send us an email. And, you know, I, I'm going to tell you where I'm going to send it. I'm going to send it to feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Well, I think, I think the right place to send it would be feedback at MacGeekGab.com. I agree with you in all respects, except it really should be feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Or, of course, premium at MacGeekGab.com if you are one of our uh, glorious premium members. And thank what, you. What is premium, Dave? I have not heard of this. So premium is something we started almost two years ago. Uh, is that long? Really? Yeah. Wow. I think so. Yeah. Uh, we do an extra two episodes a month. And those are available only to our premium subscribers. In addition to those two episodes, uh, premium subscribers can have uh, access to this special email address and also full access to the Mac Geek Gab archives. Uh, but the main reason that we started the premium show was because many of you simply wanted to reach out and support John and I. And we uh, we so that's that's that was sort of the catalyst for this. But we wanted to give you something in return. And you uh, wanted more. You that's wanted right. More. And more. we're giving you more. That's right. So it's 25 bucks for a six-month subscription to get all of that. Uh, and that's what premium is. So, John, you mentioned cleansing the palate. If you want to use your palate and communicate <laughs> your message verbally, uh, you could call us at 206-666-GEEK, which, John, is... 4335. That, that it is. You can visit the show notes at MacGeekGab.com, and you can see us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MacGeekGab. Go over there, give us a like, wow. send us a question. Good stuff. We haven't mentioned for a while iTunes comments. Love If you have a comment, positive. Well, no, only positive. (laughs) No, no. Constructive. Constructive. Oh, no. Yeah, constructive criticism is always welcome. Not in this case, but. (laughs) But no, iTunes comments, please. Comment on the podcast. Tell other people what you think, uh, why you listen to us, uh, or why you don't. Though, if you don't listen to us, then you won't be hearing this message. So. That's right. Whatever. <laughs> Twitter.com. You can find him at John F. Braun. You can find me at Dave Hamilton. You can find Pilot Pete at Pilot Pete, since that's the only place he seems to be found these days. Uh, Where is he? He's uh, flying. He's piloting. Uh, oh, well, you can follow uh, the podcast at, at Twitter.com slash MacGeekGab. And, of course, Twitter.com slash MacObserver is for everything having to do with MacObserver.com. Uh we would love to thank Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast. He's the one that converts this show and all the other episodes into AAC for you. We'd also... Okay, well, that was weird. We had a little audio hiccup. Unlike anything I'd ever heard before, we would also like to thank Cashfly.com for providing all the bandwidth. And lastly, but not leastly, thanking all of our sponsors, <laughs> uh, including Audio Engine with their A2 desktop speakers, Barebones with BB in it, Smile with Text Expander, Gazelle, and uh, yes, I am going to Blog World Expo, and you can go uh, too, folks. You can get uh, 50% off. I'm speaking there on Friday the 4th, I believe, of November. So so come on out. Uh, 50% off using the code OBSERVER50, and uh, all of that through Backbeat Media. So 
Thanks a lot, folks. We are out of here, and I'm off to stitch this together so you can hear the show seamlessly after that crazy little audio hiccup. So lots of fun today, folks, and thanks for for listening. Thanks for subscribing. I really do appreciate it. You're going to be in uh, L.A., huh? Yeah, I'm breaking my record. I have uh, lived low these 40 years without ever having gone to really? LA. Really? Yeah. No, I've been there. Yeah, it is what it is. But it'll be fun. Have a good week, folks. Don't get caught. Don't get caught.